Thanks, Otto. <clears throat> Good morning. Again, those, uh, those words out of Joel were, uh, were beautiful. Maybe you're sitting here like going, oh, man, I don't know what in the world that was talking about. Um, and it's true. Joel, the book of Joel, is a very complex book. So today I just want to reiterate to you all that we will be doing lots of reading inside of Joel. So if you have your phone or your app or if you want to grab a Bible or one of the, uh, one of the, uh, the prophet journals that are back there, I encourage you to do so. We're going to be doing tons more reading in this. And we have to get us up to the point of those beautiful words that Joel was proclaiming in what Otto just read. Because they are beautiful. Just like Matt had said this morning, which I am so thankful that he said what he said. Because the point is, is that we do forget this desolation and that, uh, that the Lord has with sin. Okay? We're going to see some of that today, but what Otto read was the joyful side. That is the beauty in what is coming, right? That is the beauty in what Joel was proclaiming, but we have to go back a little bit and understand where it comes from and why, all right? So I encourage you to turn to Joel. I am going to give you one little tidbit of, of thing. You may love it or not. I'm not quite sure. I uh, am a huge advocate of the New American Standard Bible um, or the NASB. So most of my reading will come out of that today, which doesn't mean it's different than the, um, than the, uh, than the Bibles we have there, the ESVs. But it may, the translations may be a little different. I didn't quite think about that when I was studying. Um, I, just, I just have read NASB for a long time. So the words might be a little different, but I think they're still there and we can follow along with relative ease. Okay? So that's kind of going, going on there. So if you find Joel, please do so. Okay? So the book of Joel, all right? Um, which is great that uh, Pastor Joel asked me to preach about it because if you imagine Joel saying Joel like a thousand times, it might get a little like weird, right? But anyway, um, I get the opportunity to preach it, and we need to know a little bit of a backstory about Joel. So Joel is, uh, the book is part of the 12, okay? And we know this because of the imagery that is inside of it, all right? Other than that, we have really no idea about the timing of when the book of Joel was written. Um, and we also don't know, um, there's a little bit of a, of a, a breakdown whether how it's actually divided up, right? There's some commentators that are a little confused, not confused, but they argue a little bit on if there's actually four chapters in Joel, like what Aldo read was actually two chapters worth, or breakdowns are a little different. So in our American Bibles, though, there's only three chapters in this short book, all right? There's only three chapters. But other than that, the rest of the Bible doesn't really talk about the prophet Joel and or his father, okay? Which if you uh, turn to Joel 1.1, 1, 1, it says, you know, the word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. So uh, we don't really know much about him, okay? And that's really what it comes down to. Um, we don't know exactly the timing, but we do know this one thing about Joel is that the book of Joel really takes uh, a lot of references from other prophets, okay? So it's not like it shouldn't be in the canon. It's not like it shouldn't exist. It should absolutely exist on the sheer fact of, of the beauty in Christ, that it, well, the beauty in God that it talks about, which later you could see it in Christ, but also that uh, the imagery that's in there, that kind of goes along with a lot of the other prophets that they've taught, that, are, that speak, all right? Um, and it's got some great stuff. The, the, the grip of verses that Otto read, even Apostle Peter referenced that at Pentecost, which we'll talk about a little bit in Acts. So it is, uh, it is a very pivotal book. The other thing is interesting is that a lot of the prophets that we've heard so far, whether it was Pastor Jeremiah speaking or Pastor Joel speaking, talking and preaching it, right? We see that there are specific sins that happened in the land that those prophets were calling out and telling them to change or repent, right? 
We're going to see that in the book of Joel, that that doesn't really exist. It's more of a generality, and more of a uh, generality in the sense of all sin and depravity. And then it really, there's one part where you can argue that it says about serving other gods, which is not false, this is true, we don't want to serve other gods, right? But in that, that's basically the whole outline of Joel, okay? Today, uh, I'm not going to be able to cover all of it. All right. Um, in fact, I don't know if I'm even going to get to chapter three. All right. But that's going to be okay. We can use it all as homework, and that's going to be all right there. <clears throat> the imagery in this book is really, really intense. You heard that when Otto said the locust, and it was talking about taking the swarms to the northern and to the southern seas. And it, got, it gets a little crazy. So the imagery is intense. So I ask you just to please follow along. That's why we're going to be doing a lot of reading to open up kind of what Joel is saying. Um, and uh, also, this three little chapter book, all right, does an amazing job of giving very specific detail um, and also condensing it really short, all right? So we have a little bit of work to do with that, um, but I hope to see and show you this morning three things in particular. One would be desolation, the other repentance, and then restoration, all right? Those are the three things that I want to talk about today, desolation, repentance, and restoration. And those three things are not, they should, if you've been around church for a while, they should not be new things that you've heard, right? Um, They should not be something that is brand new. Now, if you haven't been around church, maybe it is, and that's okay. We're going to talk about desolation, repentance, and restoration, okay? It's familiar, especially if you've been around the church. You've heard probably... um, In Ephesians, I'm going to read this real quick to you. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them you too formerly lived in the lusts of your flesh, indulging in the desires of your flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he has saved us, even when you were dead in your transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Okay, so that kind of talks about, it talks about a little bit of a desolation, a little bit of a repentance, and also a restoration, for by grace you have been saved. Maybe you've even heard those three words talking if you've heard somebody's conversion story ever before, okay? Somebody's conversion story sometimes goes along the lines of, I didn't know God, I was living a life full of sin, I was... Things were really bad. God called me, opened my eyes to that sin. I repented and believed, and now my life is good. Or if you've, that same Christian has maybe matured a little longer, it's like, my life is still difficult. (laughs) All right? But nonetheless, you've heard these stories, and they're not bad. They are not bad stories. These are great. These are exactly what we're talking about. All right? The book of Joel, though, takes this thing and uh, takes this, um, this idea and, and drives the imagery really deep. And I hope to open our eyes to that imagery a little bit this morning. All right? Um, so let's go take a look at uh, chapter 1. Okay? We'll start there. Now, just a couple of things I want to forewarn you. When about this imagery, we're going to be talking a lot about locusts, all right? Locusts are bugs, pretty nasty little things, all right? I'm not going to go into detail about locusts. If you're really curious, you can Google it, all right? Um, but the imagery is intense, so please, uh, please try to follow along. And the good thing is, is that we're doing this together. So come Wednesday at community group time, we have questions. We have, what, a, what an opportunity to talk about it, all right? What an opportunity. The other thing is, is that the first thing I'm going to start off in is, and just, just exactly what Joel does, is it talks about desolation. Okay? I'm going to be really honest with you. Um, desolation is terrifying. We're going to get into that. I am terrified of it. 
And uh, so I get a little, I've noticed that I've been getting a little shakier every time I'm talking about desolation because um, it opens my eyes to the depths of my sin and I don't, and I'm scared of it. I'm terrified of it. All right. Um, And it also brings me to the joy of what's in Christ. Um, But we have to start at the desolation first, because I think just like Matt was reminding us this morning, sometimes we forget what it's like and what that payment is, what that payment was for, what Christ, the blood that was, that was shed for us. We forget that. And I'm going to be honest, I do. I think a lot of my, a lot of, I'm kind of going, I'm putting the, 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 the chariot before the horse here a little bit, but I need to get this off my chest. I, um, we say we always want to remember, right? But desolation, separation from Christ is, um, is, is more than empty. Um, and it, I don't think about it often. Um, not like I want to live there, but I think I live in this place where, oh, everything's happy and joyful all the time, which is good. I think we should. We should remember and we should be happy for what Christ has done. But without knowing where we came from and what desolation looks like, um, there's a pit there. So let's, let's get into Joel, and uh, maybe that'll kind of make a little bit more sense as we continue to talk this out. Bless you. Um, so first thing off in Joel, we're going to see that Joel, the prophet Joel, sits there and he proclaims out. And he says these couple of first things in uh, verse 1 and 2. He says, the word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Bethuel. It says, hear this, O elders, and listen to the inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it and let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. So Prophet Joel is sitting there, and he's like, you have to think of this, this, this guy, he's a prophet, right? He's proclaiming the words that God has given him, and he's sitting there before he even tells you anything, just like putting the chariot a little bit before the horse, right? He sits there and goes, listen, you've got to stop, listen. This is something that you need to listen to. You need to tell all that, you need to tell Everybody, you need to tell the elders, you need to tell your sons, your sons need to tell their sons, and their sons need to tell their next generation. This is kind of like, um, like an interlude to saying what is really important. We got to get this, all right? He's about to really throw the hammer down, all right? So going on from there, let's uh, go ahead and flip the page, and uh, I'm going to read uh, just verses 4 through 7. It says, what the gnawing locust has left and what the swarming locust has eaten and what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Awake drunkards and weep and wail all you wine drinkers on the account of sweet wine that has been cut off from your mouth. For a nation has invaded my land, mighty and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion and its fangs of a lioness. It has made the, made the vine a waste and the fig tree splinters, and it has stripped them bare and cast them away. Their branches have become white, which means no bark. All right. So, oh my gosh, what's going on here? Okay, so let me, let me pause for a quick second. So, Prophet Joel is sitting there, and he's proclaiming about these bugs. He's talking about this swarm of locusts. Locusts are um, relentless little creatures. They will eat everything. And when, in a lot of your uh, trans, uh, 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 versions of the Bible, it says cutting, swarming, and hopping locusts, all right? Really what they're doing, I said I wasn't going to talk too much about locusts, and I'm not, but really that talks about the different stages of life of these particular bugs, all right? So these bugs are coming in, and they're, they're swarming in in mad swarms. We've heard this before, and we talked about it on Wednesday a little bit, when we heard about the locust plague in Exodus, right? They came through, and they, they ate everything. Everything was desolate. Okay? So... We have to understand these bugs. When they will come in, they will come, they will lay their eggs, they will, uh, those mature locusts will eat everything, everything will come a bear and wasteland. 
Now, for us, we can read that and go, oh, wow, that sounds really bad. But think about the desolation of the time. If there was a swarm of locusts that came in and wiped away everything. You look outside right now and you see things are green. It's a little brown. Things are burnt from the sun. But imagine everything being like nothing. Now, there wouldn't be a tree standing without leaves or with leaves. There wouldn't be grass. Now, back in this day, right, they're a little concerned there's no wheat now. There's no olives. There's no, you even see what Joel was even talking about. He even said, awake drunkards and weep. That's a little bit of a sarcastic little comment there. Because even the drunkards are going to have nothing. Even the drunks don't have wine to drink because they've eaten all of the grapes. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, right? And it even goes as far as, uh, and we'll see a little bit bit later on, um, but it even goes as far as now there's not even a grain offering or a drink offering for the temple. There's nothing. I think of this image of, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie called Mara, it's Martian, I think it is. Um, I think his name is my, I should have wrote that down. Um, anyway, it's about Mars, and basically you try to inhabit Mars and all this stuff, right? And Mars is nothing but a red planet that is nothing but dust. The prophet Joel is speaking about this desolation. There is nothing. So if you extrapolate that a little bit, If there's nothing to eat, no grain, what are the animals going to eat? Nothing. So now we have this place where all these locusts have come in, wiped away all of the crops. And back in this day, crops were not only food, but they were your currency, right? So now you have people that have no currency and they have no food. And once all of that's gone, then the, they're like, oh, well, then there's animals. Well, then the animals have nothing to eat, and they'll die off. What do you have left? I, I don't know if I can put in English words the, the, the desolation of what just some simple little bugs can do. Literally wiping away everything. There is not, literally nothing, nothing left. You know, for us, I think it's hard because, like I said, we can think about that and just be like, yeah, locusts came in, no big deal. And here in America, we just got some bug spray. We just, you know, spray the locusts and everything dies. No good, no problem. We'll, we'll, We'll be able to handle this swarm, right? We're like, all right, so maybe you have a garden in the back of your house or something. They're like, yeah, it ate my carrots. No big deal. I'll just run up to the grocery store and grab them, right? But if this happened in today's day and age, right, we wouldn't have food at the grocery store. We wouldn't have things like cereal because we wouldn't have any grain to make the cereal out of. My son's a vegan. He would perish in like a day, right? But the point, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to show you is that we think it's really simple and really easy um, we take a lot of things for granted. I know I want to go to the store sometimes, and I just want fried chicken. I'll just go to the store and buy fried chicken. But I wouldn't be able to have any breading for it, right? Or the chicken would be dead at that point. Maybe you can see this a little bit in real life. I think Shane was telling me just the other day about he went to the store to buy apples, and they were $5 a pound or something along those lines. But have you ever gone to the store and the apples that you want to buy are super expensive or they just aren't there? And you really want that Honeycrisp, right? But imagine that for everything. The produce aisle is completely bare. Nothing. There's nothing. Absolutely nothing. Let's keep reading in verse 8. It goes on... uh, uh, Joel goes on and says, Wail like a virgin girded in sackcloth for the bridegroom and her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. See, even the locusts have taken the drink offering and, um, and the grain offering from the priests. 
Verse 10, the field is in ruin, the land mourns, for the grain is ruined, the new wine dries up, the fresh oil fails. Be ashamed, O farmers, wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine dries up and the fig tree fails, the pomegranate, the palm also, and the apple tree. All of the trees of the field dry up, indeed. Rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. Right now, we live in a day where things, we can rejoice. We're like, yeah, I'm in an air-conditioning building. Look how beautiful it is outside. Things are green. Things look like they're growing. I can go to the grocery store and buy my carrots and Honeycrisp apples. We are rejoicing. We don't sometimes even take it for granted, right? We don't even know that we have the opportunity to rejoice in those things because they're not gone. This is the part of the desolation, like I was saying, that terrifies me. Because I don't understand desolation. Now, you can take this another step, right? You can see that this wasteland, this, this, waste, this, um, this desolate land, right, is an image. It, it's an image of what's going to happen when the Lord comes, the day of the Lord. It's also an image of sin, Imagine the, the sin that we have is just a barren, dead wasteland of nothing. We were dead in our sins. Dead. Everything is dead. This is what Joel is proclaiming. He's proclaiming the desolate land of sin, a desolate land. This is what happens when the Lord comes again for judgment. And I'm going to be the first one to tell you I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that looks like. I have done a lot of years of studying, and honestly, this is probably really sinful. I have avoided what it looks like, God's judgment. Like the book of Revelation, I'm scared of that. I don't go there because I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm scared of the desolation. Really what it comes down in me is that I'm just prideful. This is a call that Joel has to these people that he's proclaiming going, this, everything is dead. You don't understand how dead you are. If you're out here and this is nothing, right? All of this beauty that you see is absolutely wiped nothing. There are no animals. It's not going to happen overnight, right? But there are no animals. There is no vegetation. There are no crops. What do you have left? Your livelihood is based off of food. We in America take advantage of that. I take advantage of that all the time. I just want a burger. I'm going to go to Wendy's. Or Chick-fil-A or whatever, right? But we take advantage of this. We don't understand the depths of sin and the depravity and the desolation of sin. So we take advantage of it. And it's just like, meh, it's all right. Joel is showing this desolation, right? If you are left in this desolation, you have nothing left to do. You have the people that are around you. Think about this. Crops are gone. Animals are gone. Okay? You have nothing left besides the people around you. People around you are going to start fading out. What do you have left to do? There is nothing. No one. Nobody can help. Everybody is in the same boat. This is, that is the coming of Christ. Everybody Everybody is going to face the judgment. You have nothing left to do except cry out to God because that's the only thing that's around. It's the only thing you can do. And this is, this is the story, and this is why Joel, the book of Joel, is, a, is an endless or timeless piece, right? It's because it talks about the depths of our sin And it tells us that we have to call out to the only thing that gives life, which is God. 
There's only one life giver, and that is God. And that is exactly what happens in the book of Joel, starting in verse 13 of chapter 1. So if you have it, flip there and let's go there. He says, in there, he says, Gird yourselves with sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers at the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of God. Continuing on, he says, Consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the elders, all of the inhabitants of the land, to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord, alas the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as a destruction from the Almighty. Has not food been cut off from your eyes? Gladness and joy from the house of your God? The seed shrivels under the clots, or clods, I'm sorry. The storehouses are desolate. The barns are torn down, for the grain is dried up. How the beasts groan. The herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. <clears throat> now, the next two verses, Joel himself Joel himself is crying out here. It says, To you, O Lord, I cry, for the fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned up all of your trees in the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, and the water brooks are dried up, and the fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Joel himself is crying out. He tells the elders and the priests to gather people together. Let's lament over this. We need a savior. We have nothing. And then so much so that he doesn't just proclaim this as if it's something that he's doing and he's going to stand back and just watch it all happen. What does the dude do? He gets on his knees and he cries out to God. There is nothing. There is nothing left. He has to cry out to God. This is the stuff, when I open this up, this is the stuff that terrifies me. Because if we take this and we look at this desolation, there's nothing, nothing left in what to cry out for, and all that's left is crying out to God, I am such a sinner. You know, I titled this sermon, um, it's funny, I titled this sermon, Thankful and Grateful, see? I was sitting at my table, and I was looking over at the window that was next in the little nook area, and there's this wooden money jar, okay, with a bunch of change in it, and it says right on the front of it, Thankful and Grateful. And I looked at that, and I was like, it's full of money. Am I thankful and grateful for money, for change? Like, I got a bunch of change in there. There's probably 30 bucks in there. If you want it, you can have it. I don't care. But the point is, is I'm looking at this, and I'm going, thankful and grateful. What am I thankful and grateful for? Am I thankful and grateful for that money? Because things are prosper- prosperous right now for us, right? I, have, I even have enough money that I have a change jar. What about this desolate land of sin that in wake that I have created in my life. What about that? Thankful and grateful. We say these words in our circles. We say that we're grateful. We say we're, that we're thankful for Christ. And that's true. But I don't know if we understand the depth of it. I know I don't. Maybe you do. And I'm happy for you. I don't understand it. I say I'm very grateful today. Or I'm thank- thanks. I appreciate that. Or Joel will tell me I'm thankful for you or whatever, right? That's Pastor Joel, by the way. But uh, not, not the book of Joel. Um, but the being thankful and grateful, what are we thankful and grateful for? What are we thankful and grateful for? Because we know that, the, that the, the wages of sin is death. It's desolation. It's nothing. We know that Christ is coming and is going to return to cast judgment. And honestly, if you're a Christian, non-Christian, you're still going to face this judgment, right? But there is only 
one thing to be thankful for is that that desolation doesn't, it isn't the end because there's a promise. And that is joyful. That is what I don't grasp. I could say I'm thankful, but really I'm just happy about my day, like it worked out all right. I struggle sometimes remembering the depths of my sin. But just like Matt had shared this morning, it's not the depths of my sin that I stay there, but it's the gratefulness of what God has done in sending his son to the cross, dying for sinners like me. He didn't have to. He's God, but he chose to. And now I'm alive in Christ. I, am, I have joy. I can be grateful that I don't have a desolate wasteland of junk that I can remember. Now, granted, I still sin, right? I still do. I still commit sins. I do it. I'm going to be honest. All right? But that sin has been paid for. That sin has been paid for. Let's get back into Joel. There's a couple of notes I'm not, I'm going to go over here. So in Joel uh, chapter 2, I'm going to read just a couple of verses out of the beginning part here. It says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, the sound of an alarm on my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of my land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. The day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains. So so how great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it. Nor will there be anything after it. To the years and many generations. So... um, I've talked a lot, a little bit about this judgment, right? Jesus is coming to cast his judgment. Um, I don't have a lot of information for you there. I really wish I did. I am not educated enough. God has not opened that up. Honestly, I told you before that I kind of avoided some of that because I'm terrified of it. But some of the stuff I did read, right, which I'm going to share with you. So if you're a note taker, take these notes. In uh, the book of Mark, verses 13 31 says... Uh, about Jesus' return, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And then later on in the book of Revelation, in, ver- in uh, chapter 21, it starts off and says, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. These are going to be, um, those are a week's, or two weeks' worth of sermons. Well, I'm sorry, two months' worth of sermons. Um, in just those two verses right there. Because we have to understand that the, the regeneration of everything dying, God is restoring everything, right? There's a regeneration happening that uh, I can't speak to. I don't have, I tried, I really did for you all. I was reading theology books, I was trying to read some end time stuff, and I lost it. All right, so I don't have great information for you right there. It's really hard to grasp. All right, really hard to grasp. But I do want to go ahead, if you can, go ahead and flip to Romans chapter 2 or jot the notes down. If you can, there's a couple of verses in here. I want to talk about the impartiality of God because God, when I said God was going to be here to judge the believers and the non-believers, we have to understand that all of us are subject to this judgment. We're subject to this judgment. Paul does a great job explaining it in uh, Romans chapter 2 for the first uh, verses 1 through 6. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, everyone who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things, there's a lot of such things there, and do the same yourself, you will not escape the judgment of God. 
Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. So we see that God will come in judgment and judge according to our deeds. Man, I'm so happy that Otto read that stuff first. I, wasn't gonna, I was going to start with desolation, but boy, I don't know if I would have backed out of it because we had this hope. We read it, okay, because there is hope. This is the exciting part that we get to talk about. There is hope from this very, very terrifying desolation. And it's the deliverance that is promised. It is the deliverance starting in verse 18 of chapter 2. I skipped a whole section because I told you we were going to talk about repentance before I talked about deliverance. So let's talk about repentance because, let me backtrack here. I got a little off, off out of my notes. But we said that there's deliverance. And I said that we're going to go to repentance and then we're going to go to restoration. So the restoration is what Otto said. That's the hope. But when you are in this desolate wasteland, right, you have nothing left but to cry out to God in lament, right? But then there is a repentance. It's a turning of and from our sin. Let's read this in Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 12. It says, Yet now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. That is a pivotal verse right there. Remember in the verse 1 where we read that it said Joel, he told everybody to um, uh, guard yourself in sackcloth. You see here, during repentance, Joel is even saying in verse 12, Return to me with all your heart and with all your fasting and weeping and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. You can do a lot of the outwardly signs of repentance. You can be like, yeah, I ain't doing that no more. That was stupid. And do something different, right? But did you repent? Prophet Joel is saying, repent of your heart, not just what's on the outside. You have to, yes, you have to do that about face, that whole military action where you just turn and do something different. That is repentance, but it comes from God. Your heart has to be repentive. And that's what Joel is saying. Continuing on, in verse 13, he says, and we've heard this before, right? For God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting in evil. You might read, hear that and be like, how in the world is he compassionate with a swarm of locusts that just desolated everything? And how are you, Chris, telling me that he's going to be slow to anger when you said that your sin is a barren wasteland that's dead and there's nothing alive? We have a righteous God. We We have a just God. If God wavered, it's hard to say this, well, it's not hard to say it, but I'll just put it out this way. If God wavered and was not just, and would, you know, be like, meh, all right, I see that you are having a bad day. I'll just make things better for you or whatever. Would that be unfair? Which, yeah, it would. The truth is, is that we have a just God that is just no matter what the, what the situation is. It's always going to be true. If God wavered, he would not be true. He would not be all-knowing. He would, not, he would be a wavering God. He would be a God that you can manipulate. 
But God set his rule. He said, this is what it is. Judgment, there, there you go. That is actually loving. To have a just God that doesn't change his mind on the whim just because, you know, we cry a little bit. He is just. Verse 14, continuing in this repentance, who knows whether he will turn and who, I'm sorry, who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering or a drink offering for the for the Lord, your God. Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing infants, let the bridegroom come out of the, on the roof and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests and the Lord, the ministers, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations, why they among the people say, where is their God? This call for repentance this is the hope that we have, this repentance, okay? This repentance, this is what Joel is talking about. When everything is barren and waste, we have nothing left we, besides crying out to God and repenting from the sin in the wake of our desolation. That's all we have left. And now we get to verse 18 where Otto was talking this morning. We're going to almost be done here. It says, when the Lord, it says, then the Lord, and that is so amazing. I just want to stop right there. I want to stop. Because you went through this repentance and now God is delivering, delivering what we need. It says, then the Lord, that is amazing. He'll be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. And the Lord will answer and say to his people, behold, I am going to send you grain, new wine, new oil, and you will be satisfied in full with them. Are you satisfied in full? Or do you always need more? Grateful and thankful for that change that's in that little cabinet thing right there, a little change box? But it ain't full. Can I be satisfied in full? And I will never again make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove the northern army. And this is where there's a little bit of imagery here. They're talking about, we didn't read it so much, but it's talking about the locusts. So if you think about the, uh, put it in military terms, if you think about the swarm of locusts, right? You've got them everywhere. So they're putting it in military terms, these locusts, kind of like an army, okay? So you just got to kind of uh, bear with me on that. This, he's more or less talking about the the locusts. It says, uh, but I will remove the northern army from you and I will drive it into a parched and desolate land and its vanguard into the eastern sea and its rear guard into the western sea and its stench will arise, will arise and its foul smell will come up for it has done great things. So it's pretty terrible outside, but God is coming through and wiping things clean. Remember Joel talking? This is a, a, a direct relation to the Christ and going into the spirit. We're going to see that here in a second. Remember when Joel said a couple weeks ago that sin, uh, he had a whiteboard and on it was all of his sin. And he thought that God wiping, cleansing him, right, was just wiping the whiteboard clean. That's not just like he said there. It's not true. He wiped the whiteboard clean, but wrote all of the attributes of Jesus on there. He wrote who Jesus is in, in Joel in that. That's what he's talking about here. To do not fear, O land, rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, when the pastures and the wilderness have turned green. 
For the tree is born, is, is born its fruit, and the fig tree and the vine has yielded it full. Rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you early rain for your vindication. Now he is restoring. You see this restoration happens. Things are turning green again. Rain's coming, right? This is what, this is what they needed. This is the restoration. Things are going anew. We have new wine, right? We have new olives. Like Things are new. We have new oils. When I mean olives, that means they have oils, right? This is the threshing floor, will be, threshing floor will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with new wine and new oil. See, without understanding the desolation and going through the act of repentance and calling out to the only thing that is left is only when we can see the restoration, Because otherwise, in my own making, I cannot create anything good. Only God can. And that's what the prophet Joel is saying. And then it jumped down to verse 28, which is amazing, right? This is... is the uh, Just about the exact, well, this is where Peter got the, uh, the, the words to, 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 to proclaim at Pentecost. All right? If you're not familiar with that story, Jesus has already ascended to, uh, ascended to the right hand of the Father. He said, I will give you the Holy Spirit, and they were to wait upon it. Okay? And then he was to wait there, and they did. And they, all of a sudden, there became this, and I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit. We'll kind of dabble in it a, a little bit here. But this is in Acts chapter 2. Um, uh, but it, there was this big whirlwind, right? And this rush of wind came. All of a sudden, everybody from all these different nations were all speaking in their own native tongue. But honestly, in that, they were all understood one another. And it was crazy because they were all basically proclaiming God. They were talking, they were prophesying. This gets crazy now. They were prophesying God. They were talking, they were proclaiming the good news of Christ. So you have all these ethnic background people from everywhere, all speaking in their own language, but everybody can understand them. Bystanders were standing back going, those guys are hammered. They are way drunk. Right? How do they, what are they doing? They're a bunch of nimbuscles. They're just babbling about a bunch of junk. Right? And then Peter, he decides to stand up and he's kind of, these guys ain't drunk. And he quotes this right out of Joel. He quotes this right out of Joel. And it's in Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read that. Uh, it's Acts chapter 2. Starting in uh, verse 14, but Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, has raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all that has lived in Jerusalem, let this be known and give heed to my word. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. Because, you know, you can't drink before, you know, noon. That's not right. It says, <laughs> it says, but then this is what's spoken through the prophet Joel. He says, and it shall be in those last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind for your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. For your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor and smoke, and the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood and before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Almost word for word. I'm not going to go into all the little nitty-gritty details because Peter changes a couple of words there. But this is the hope this is, the, this is the Holy Spirit that has come on, come on people, come to us. This is what we have to live for now. It's verbalizing the great things. It says to prophesy. I'm almost done. I'm going to have to cut this really short because I'm running out of time here. But it says to prophesy, a prophet. We're talking about Prophet Joel. You know prophecy... 
right? Some of us may think of prophecy as like an office that you hold, or you're like, nah, that's just a prophet. That's what they do. They talk. But no, I'm going to tell you no. Those of us that are in Christ, we should be prophesying. Now, now, granted, I'm going to tell you, don't, it's not like this crazy weird stuff and imagery stuff. I'm talking in the exact proclamation of who God is, what he's done in your life. That is prophesying. That is telling of the story of God to other people. Got some homework for you. Go back to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, you will go there and you will read a story about Moses. And in that Moses, he was needing help. He asked God for help. And then all of a sudden he said, bring 70 people and I will give my spirit to them and they will prophesy. And then two people were kind of not in the grip there and they started prophesying and they got all mad and it turned into this thing. Basically, Moses said, why should I be upset that my people are prophesying? This is great. Everybody should be prophesying and we should as well. We should be, have the joy that is coming in Christ because there is no desolate land. We have repented and we have restoration in our life because of what Christ has done on the cross. We should be talking about that. I should be talking about that more than I do. I've missed like two pages of my notes. I have more homework for you. Read Psalm 51 if you're a note taker. I'm going to end this really quick. Um, Acts 2, I've already talked about that. When will this happen? When will this coming of the Lord happen? If that's a question you have for you, I encourage you to go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 3 to the end of that chapter. Those are your homework assignments. <laughs> I feel like I'm a teacher again. This is why we give thanks. This is what we have to be grateful for. And I encourage you to rest in that this morning. I'm going to, st- I'm going to end here. I promise I'm going to be done. Um, one of the commentators I read this week had this really um, amazing question uh, that I just want to read off to you. It said, he stated, are you, one of the, are you one of those whose life has been destroyed by the locusts of sin? Has sin stripped away everything in your life that is green and it seems like a spiritual desert? If so, you need to return to the only one who can make life grow fruitful again. Only God can restore the years that have been eaten away. I'm going to pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your prophet Joel to proclaim such a um, packed book of, uh, of images, God. Lord, I, I ask, Lord, that we can understand um, as a people your, the desolation of sin um, and understand that we need repentance, God, but then there's hope after that in the restoration. Father, I desperately ask that we don't sit in the depravity of our sin in Christ, God, but we have joy that comes from your son. Help us to help us to uh, believe that and be real with it as we're real with one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.